Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to study the Scriptures with us, to investigate the Scriptures as we continue with our discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel or Good News about the Kingdom of God. We've been insisting in these programs that the only way to make sense of the teaching of Jesus is to begin at the beginning. The very first command ever issued by Jesus was this, Repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. That's found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, it's a fact that most Bible students are fully acquainted with the great commission given in Matthew 28. The very last verses of the gospel of Matthew in the 28th chapter, in those precious verses, Jesus issued his mandate for the church until the end of the age when he returns to set up his kingdom. In that passage, Jesus said, Go into all the world and teach the nations everything that I commanded you. Now, that's pretty clear. The task of the disciple, apparently, beginning there with the apostles themselves, was to relay the teaching that they had received personally from Jesus himself. Now, that's not a difficult concept. If Jesus is the instigator of the Christian faith, the new covenant, based, of course, on the Hebrew Bible, but nevertheless new, because Jesus himself was the promised Messiah. If the mandate of Jesus to his church is to teach everything that he taught, then it would make perfect sense that we would begin at the beginning of Jesus' teaching to see where he lays his foundation for instructing the people. Now, if we simply turn over in our Bibles one page from Matthew 28, we will be confronted with Mark chapter 1. And in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we find a wonderful encapsulation, a summary statement of the whole of the mission of Jesus. Mark sums up the activity of Jesus of Nazareth by saying that he came into Galilee announcing, proclaiming, heralding God's gospel. That's to say, God's good news. And what was the content of that good news? It was that the kingdom of God was at hand. That's to say, God's kingdom, God's divine reign on this earth in the person of his Messiah, the promised kingdom, the promised kingdom that is as foreseen by the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, that stupendous event, Jesus said, was at hand. Jesus, you notice, did not say the kingdom of God had arrived. He did not say it was here. He said it was near. He never said that the kingdom of God announced by his gospel was the church. In fact, he never said how long it would be until the kingdom came. But in his famous prayer, Jesus urged his disciples, in accordance with his gospel message of the kingdom, to pray, Thy kingdom come. Now, ponder that momentous statement for a moment. Is Jesus there inviting them to pray for something that has already come? That would seem quite impossible. You don't pray for the kingdom to come if the kingdom has already come. Now, this, I think, will prove to any unprejudiced reader of the Bible that Jesus did not imagine that the kingdom of God had come. In fact, as we found in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he said quite categorically that it was at hand. Now, the prophets of Israel, if you examine those famous prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, 
Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets, the famous twelve, they also speak of the day of the Lord being at hand. And when they speak of that great day coming, they're referring to a momentous cataclysm that's going to strike this earth. I would suggest that sometime you take a concordance and look up the expression day of the Lord in the Hebrew Bible and get a sense of the tremendous event that that's going to be. It's a time when God himself intervenes by using his agent, the Messiah, to change once and for all and decisively the affairs of human governments on this earth. It's as though, as somebody said, earth is like a great airliner headed for a tremendous crash. Things are not going to be just as they are forever. It may appear that we are solidly entrenched in a way of life that cannot be disturbed, but the Bible tells us otherwise. Noah, you know, prepared for the flood for some 120 years. He gave advanced knowledge of the coming of a terrible judgment upon the earth. Jesus spoke of the future coming of himself to establish the kingdom at the day of the Lord as a similar judgment. You will find in the 24th chapter of Matthew that Jesus compared the days of Noah with the times lying ahead of us just before the second coming of Christ. Now, we don't know, of course, when that's going to be, and it's sheer folly to set dates. What we do know for certain is that Jesus geared his whole mission and ministry to an announcement of that great day coming. That's what he meant when he said, Repent, orientate your life in a new direction, focus your attention on what God is doing in world history, and prepare to be acceptable and accepted at that great day of judgment. And so you see, the gospel is both a warning and a promise, good news and bad news, if you like. For those who do respond to the call and invitation of Jesus to repent in view of the coming kingdom, everything will turn out wonderfully well. For those who go their sweet way and turn a blind eye to the teachings of Jesus, who ignore his warnings, everything will be a disaster. Those two destinies are set before us in the teaching of both John the Baptist and Jesus himself. The gospel, the Christian gospel, therefore comes to us as both a promise of good things and also a menace. It depends entirely on how we react to that initial summary statement of Jesus' whole purpose, repent and believe in the coming kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand, he said, repent and believe in that good news, that good news, i.e., about the kingdom. Now, if you take that as the basic thesis statement of Jesus and follow that story throughout the Gospels, you'll see that everything fits into place. Jesus' teaching is commentary on the underlying idea of the approach of the kingdom. We've got to be ready for the great event. The great event is not the moment we die. It's the moment of the second coming at which we will face Jesus and we will be judged as to how well we have paid attention to his teachings and carried them out and shared the faith of the gospel of the kingdom with others. Not only at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, but also at its conclusion, he summarized his mission with these words. I am reading from the twelfth chapter of John and verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, 
He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, it's important that we note carefully the meaning of Jesus' phrase, believe in me. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? I read on in John 12:47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke, that's to say the gospel I taught, the message I delivered, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life or life in the coming age. That's to say his commandment means that if you respond to it, you will gain the life of the coming kingdom or the life of the age to come. Therefore, the things I speak, Jesus said in conclusion, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, I wonder if you caught the implications of that final sermon, that wonderful summing up of the entire message and purpose of Jesus. You'll note that Jesus said, if anyone hears his sayings and does not keep them, he doesn't judge him, and he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see there the connection between being saved and responding to the sayings of Jesus. We discover here a close connection between our response to the words and the teachings and the sayings, and indeed the gospel of Jesus and our salvation. Because in verse 48 of John 12, Jesus went on to say, He who rejects me, that's to say, he who does not receive my sayings, and I'm quoting there the actual words of Jesus, he who does not receive my sayings, which is equivalent to rejecting Jesus, that person has one who's going to judge him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Note carefully when that judgment's going to occur, at the last day. It doesn't mean at the last day of your life or the moment you die. It means at the day of judgment in the future when Jesus returns to resurrect the dead and to judge them according to how well they've responded to Jesus' words. Salvation, I have to tell you in the Bible, means an intelligent and practical response to the sayings and teachings of Jesus. And the sayings and teachings of Jesus are summed up in his gospel message of the kingdom. You remember that in Luke 4, verse 43, Jesus said, I came to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's the reason why I was sent. Note, to preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's the reason I was sent. And here in John, Jesus said that the Father had sent him to give certain sayings and teachings, and by that standard of his teachings, his gospel, his sayings, men are going to be judged. It is necessary then for us as Christians to pay earnest attention to the teachings of Jesus. Many Christians seem to have gained the false impression from the Bible that all that matters is that you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, it's essential, of course, in Christianity to understand 
that Jesus did indeed die as an atoning sacrifice so that we might be reconciled to God. The problem is that we have all gone astray. We've all done things which are not pleasing to God and which are worthy of death. Jesus has provided a sacrifice through his blood on the cross by which we can be forgiven for our past sins and forgiven on a generous basis because of the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. It also remains a fact, of course, that Jesus did not remain dead, but after three days he rose from the dead, he reappeared on earth as a palpable, tangible human being, immortalized, and subsequently he was taken to the right hand of the Father. But the teaching of Jesus that he delivered before his death is of equal importance with his death and resurrection. The gospel is not just facts about what happened to Jesus, it's facts about what Jesus taught. Both things are combined in the gospel. It's to cut the gospel in half. If you speak of the gospel as only the death and resurrection of Jesus, and half-truths, as we all know, can be very dangerous. It is false to say that half the gospel is the death of Jesus and the other half is his resurrection. It would be true to say, perhaps, that half the gospel is the teachings of Jesus and the other half is his death and resurrection and second coming. That comes closer to the truth. But to neglect the teachings of Jesus summarized in his gospel of the kingdom is to fall into a considerable misunderstanding of the Bible. We must grasp the kingdom because Jesus commanded repentance and belief in the gospel of the kingdom as the foundation of everything else that he taught. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Please request from us our free book on the kingdom and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.